If you will be making your way to Philippians chapter number 3, the book of Philippians in chapter number 3. You know, we've spent the last few Wednesday nights um, reminding ourselves of where we've been in Philippians chapters 1 and 2, and also we've been reminded of this epistle being the epistle of joy. We've been reminded it is one of four prison epistles that the Apostle Paul has pinned down. I won't keep you long. I want to look at the first three verses. You could take this uh, section, of course, farther in chapter number three, but I want to say a little bit more about some of the following verses than what we will say tonight. Philippians 3, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Would you stand with us? I know you just were seated. We'll stand for the reading of tonight's text where Paul writes in Philippians 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. That's interesting, isn't it? He says, for me to write the same thing. Emphasize this over again, to go over this again. He said, it's, it's safe. He said, this is safe for you. And, and I'm interested tonight in joy, the Christian's safeguard. If you get your strong skin coordinates when you go home and look up this word safe, it gives you the idea of safeguard. And I'll say something more about that in just a moment. So he writes again in verse number one, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Then he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Thank you so much for standing. The safeguard of Christian joy, I'm going to speak under three headings. In verse number one, there's the principle we are to embrace, that being joy. Over and again, this keeps coming before us. In verse number two, there's people that we are to avoid. And then in verse number three, Paul rehearses the people that we are as Christians. First of all, a principle or the principle that we are to embrace. He says, finally, my brethren, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. If you'll look at verse number three, he tells us again. In verse number 3, he says, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now, in verse number 1, he says, finally, my brethren. We have to poke a little fun, don't we? Uh, One little fellow sitting beside his dad in church service. The pastor said, finally, church. And he leaned over and he said, uh, sometime later, the little boy, he said, the preacher did say, finally. He said, what does that mean? And he said, evidently, it means nothing. But you're going to find that he'll finally again, he'll do that again over in chapter number four and verse number eight. It's almost like he's closing twice, you would think. But really, that word finally gives us the idea that Paul wants to move on now to another emphasis. You remember, he's just come out of that second chapter. He's just been talking about servanthood. He's just given us two perfect models of that in a local church setting, that being Timothy and Epaphroditus, how that both of them were just wonderful servants for the Lord. 
when, when Paul says finally, he's not saying, all right, my sermon's coming to an end and ask for the pianist and the song leader to come. Uh, but whenever, whenever he says finally here, um, he's just going to move on to a different subject. It's not that he's run out of something to say. As a matter of fact, he's got another many subjects that he will uh, rehearse in this third and fourth chapter. When he says finally, you could say it like this, furthermore. It's going to take us a little farther. Or now then. Or having said what I've said up to this point, now let's move on. He says, I've put that in writing. There's more to be put uh, in writing. And so before Paul does move on, he restates this principle of rejoicing in the Lord. Again, verse number one, verse number three of tonight's text. He reemphasizes the matter. He's going to reemphasize it again a handful of times before these two final chapters are concluded. Paul calls our attention to it, so it must be vitally important. When he writes, rejoice in the Lord, in verse number 1, then in verse number 3, when he writes, rejoice in Christ Jesus, if you want to know how emphatic that is, when you come back through in your Bible reading time, you ought to just put an exclamation point, underline that phrase in verse 1, then in verse number 3, put an exclamation point out beside that verse in your Bible, and when you come through it in your uh, reading your Bible through each year, you'll be reminded, and do it again in several places in the book of Philippians, but you'll be reminded of how emphatic that this is. Paul's emphasizing, and you cannot overemphasize this business of rejoicing in the Lord. It's a command that is given of the Lord uh, through the pen of the Apostle Paul. The joy of the Lord, I've thought about it, and I'm sure you have a number of times, just like we have the peace of the Lord, the peace of God. Um, it is as a river that runs through your property, or a stream that flows. Brother Daniel Trentham, his family, were to be with us. He had automobile problems, got down to Asheville, pulled into a shop. The man said, I wouldn't drive it over an hour. It's not going to make it very far. And so he wasn't able to come. We've been to their home. They have uh, a mountain stream that runs through their backyard. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So it is with the joy of the Lord that runs through our lives. It's an undercurrent in the life of the believer. Just as the peace of God that passeth all understanding. It's part of the life of the child of God. Much like the love of God as well. This joy is not the result of circumstances in our lives. Um, if so, every time the light bill comes due. Or a doctor bill come due. Something along that line. Your circumstances has changed. Then that would interfere with your joy. Circumstances, a lot of times, you have no control over. But walking with the Lord, you have some responsibility in that. And so the joy of the Lord is a byproduct of it. The joy of the Lord is not dependent upon our circumstances, nor is the joy of the Lord dependent upon our temperaments. I did not have the privilege of hearing the Sunday school lesson, but Brother Chris, sure, did a Sunday school lesson on the temperaments. Um, we all are made up of different temperaments, right? Uh, some are more phlegmatic. They would be more laid back, passive. Some are more choleric. Uh, some are more melancholy, Brian. I mean, excuse me. And, uh, and then some are more sanguine, very outgoing. And... 
I'm not to try to be someone else. I am of, but our temperaments are different. The joy of the Lord is to be a part of your life, no matter what temperament you're made up. But we're all made up, right? We are all of a different disposition and, and makeup. Uh, so joy is not the result of our circumstances, our temperaments, nor our emotions. Uh, you, can't, you can't command somebody uh, to be an emotional or a non-emotional person, right? And so joy is something that comes in the believer's life, and we are to do our part in it, to rejoice in the Lord. I think you could, you could write an equivalent uh, uh, to that, look unto Jesus. Rest in Christ. Trust in the Lord. Those are synonymous with rejoice in the Lord. Paul writes in verse number 1, he goes on and writes, To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. That's where we get our thought for tonight. That word safe means it's a safety net, a safeguard. So when he writes this, we can say it like this, do no harm to the Scriptures, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous. This is not a burden for me to write this again to you, he says. But for you, it is a safety net. It's a safeguard in your life. Rejoice in the Lord is what he's saying. And Paul again is saying, he's saying here, when he says it's not grievous for me to write this unto you, he's saying I've already uh, commanded you to rejoice. As we walk with the Lord, our confidence is in Him. We live a life of rejoicing. So with it being a safety net, that lets us know that um, rejoicing in the Lord brings with it a, a defense system, if you will. That is a defense mechanism. Um, it, 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 let me say it like this. You cannot rejoice in the Lord and complain at the same time. You cannot find joy in Christ and in Christendom and find joy in sin at the same time, right? Um, I think about that hymn, uh, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One, and Take Care of a Lot of Problems That May Come Your Way. And it'll take care of a lot of situations for you. In verse number 1, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord, for you it is safe. Now, that word safe means, it, it comes from a word that speaks of to keep you from tripping. So if you rejoice in the Lord, it keeps you from tripping and stumbling. It comes from a word that speaks of keeping you from falling, to keep your, from getting your feet tangled. Or to keep you from losing your stability. So we ought to practice rejoicing in the Lord. And I'm going to say it. I sound like a broken record, I'm sure, to you every time I do so. But every day ought to be Thanksgiving Day for the child of God. Brother Cable Blackard, that you mention every Wednesday night for prayer, uh, he used to say it for years in revival. I heard him a number of times say that a Christian ought to get out of the bed every morning with a hallelujah in one foot and a glory to God in the other. And it'd be a good way to start the, the day. Good morning, Lord. I see you've afforded me another day. You've kept me through the night. I bless your name. Thank you for life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for eternal life that comes from the cross. Thank you for faith, a principle that, that uh, of course, overrides uh, the principles of the Old Testament. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for this joy you've written about, peace that we're speaking about. Thank you for your long-suffering. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a family. Thank you for a home. Matthew Henry wrote this. He wrote, the joy of the Lord is a divine armor against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and puts our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. He went on to say, the taste of joy in our mouths makes the tempter's offerings seem bland by comparison. Are you in love with Christ tonight? Jesus told John, said, write the angel, write the pastor of the church down at Ephesus and tell him I've got something against them. They haven't lost their first love. It's still there, but it sure is waning. They have left their first love. Do you find the world, do you have an appetite for the world, or do you have an appetite for Jesus Christ? Our love for the Lord is seen in our walk, in our prayer life, in our love for the Bible, etc., etc. So joy is a protector for the child of God. When you find yourself tempted to complain, and we are Uh, Still married to Adam, right? We still carry this flesh around. We're all prone to it. Uh, Stop and learn to be thankful. And it'll take care of that tendency to want to complain. So Paul writes here, as he writes in verse number 1, and again in verse number 3, as he gives us his command, we, we learn that rejoicing is a command in the believer's life, and it is to be continued in the believer's life. It's always appropriate. Always appropriate. We've, we've had times, um, I, I've, you'll identify with this, we've had times I think I could have just took the change out of my pocket and rattled it and somebody would have stood and thanked the Lord. We have to have preaching, right? I mean, we have to have teaching. We, we need to pray. And, but you know, really, it's never inappropriate to stop and praise the Lord. It's never wrong. To lift our hands to him and our voices. It's never wrong. Cultivate that. Make a habit of it. Where would we be tonight without all of his mercies and his grace? Where would we be tonight without the Lord Jesus? Where would your babies be tonight without the Lord Jesus? I praise his name. Secondly, he moves us to not only this principle that we are to embrace. This is to be a part of our lives. It is a command. He moves us into this area of a people that we are to avoid. Look at verse number two. And here's another safety net for us. He writes, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He's not saying when you go to shop in the market... Beware of these people. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a church family. Can these people who are one and the same, he mentions three particulars. He gives us three times. He says beware. He gives us three phrases, three descriptive phrases, but they're one and the same. And they are people that can make their way into a a church 
congregation. So Paul goes beyond this principle that we are to embrace. He gives us a people that we are to avoid. Three times, watch him use the word beware. Beware of dogs. So he told us he was fixing to give us something more than he's been given us in verse 1. So he says, beware of dogs. Then he says, beware for the second time of evil workers. And then for the third time, he goes back and he says, beware of the concision. When I was preaching the charge to Aaron in his ordination services, I was trying to prepare. As a matter of fact, I went back and looked at charges I'd preached through the years, and I just I never could get settled on any of them. But I was reminded of how vulnerable that we as believers can be. Most people that preach false doctrine preach a lot of true doctrine. A lot of people that say good things and are false teachers, most of what they say are good things. It's what makes them dangerous. Paul wrote that evil workers, he wrote that the seducers, they shall wax worse and worse. They're clever. There's a difference in a worldly wisdom and a heavenly wisdom, right? How, do, how, do, how, do you, how can you gauge me? How can you gauge Brother Troy when he's preaching, Brother Dustin, Brother Chris, other preachers? You measure them by the Bible. A, a lot of what you see that we call in the Bible Belt preaching is no more than personality. Aren't I right? I mean, I'd come along and I thought preaching was you, you, you spit your mouth dry and you, you, when, you, when you leave, you've, your shirt tail's all hung out, you're ringing wet with sweat and you climbed three or four pews and chewed everybody out. I, honestly, I thought that's what preaching was. I'd take a different text, preach the same, uh, preach the same sermon. Ride my same hobby horses. But preaching is proclaiming the Bible. It's saying what the Bible says. We, we can do it while, while we're shouting. We can do it in a monotone voice. We all prepare different. If you looked at my notes versus Brother Troy's versus Brother Dustin versus Brother Chris, our notes, we compile notes differently. Some of my notes, when we were going through the book of Esther, was almost like, Chapters in a book. There's a reason for that. I don't always use all of those. But that's, that's trying to convey the truth of the, the text. We want to say what the text has to say. When Paul uses this word beware, he, uh, he, says, um, he says beware. That means watch out. Watch out means to continually be on the lookout. And who are we looking out for? When Paul gives us these descriptive terms and he labels people, he's using blunt terminology. How would you like it if, if um, how would you feel if Jesus showed up and somebody brought Herod's name up and he said that he's a fox? That's not a good name in his day. He's a trickster is what he is. He's underhanded. Or 
when John the Baptist used some of his terminologies. Here, Paul, he starts out by saying, beware of dogs. That doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> beware of evil workers. It's very insulting. These terms are descriptive, but they're very in- insulting. With rapid fire, he says, avoid them. Avoid dogs. Avoid evil workers. Avoid the concision. He's not mentioning words, is he? He gets right down to it. He says, you need to rejoice in the Lord, and at the same time, you need to do so with your eyes wide open. Knowing that there is a group that can steal your joy, that can lead you astray. And, of course, there is a group of people that will and can corrupt you uh, doctrinally and spiritually and be a hindrance to you, be a hindrance to me. Jesus warned about false teachers. In Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Again, how do we guard against being deceived? That's it. We don't have but one book that we're to learn, just one. It's not all God knows, but it is all he wants us to know. And this old notion about, well, uh, the Bible means one thing to you and means something else to me. That may be, can be said in application, but Simon Peter wrote, the scriptures are of no private interpretation. No private interpretation. You can't take a text out of context and go start you a work somewhere and say the blessings of God's upon that. A lot of cults have been started out of that Bible right there. Out of just a few verses of Scripture here and there, taken out of context. And so that's how we avoid. That's how we avoid uh, deception in false teachers. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Dr. Way, Donald Way, I miss him. I miss him. Uh, I, I remember, if you ever heard him preach, you, you miss him. Uh, he was a mentor for a number of years. I'd call him as other preachers would, and I'd say, Dr. Way, I got a question. He'd say, Hey, Brother Kev. I'd say, Dr. Way, I got a question. He'd say, $2, Brother Kev. That'd be $2. He had five children. Jacob was the oldest, and I understand he's as brilliant as Dr. Way was. And um, Jacob was, I don't know what he's into. I called him one day. That's when he was still in Dulac, Louisiana, the church he planted down there. And he said, hold on a minute. He said, Jacob, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock your head off, boy. But I, I used to talk to him about this business of deception. And how do, you, how do you spot it? How do you know? And he would always bring me back to the Bible. Always bring me back to the Bible. I loved that brother. A Bible preacher. Give me an appetite for Bible preaching. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Dr. Way used to tell about Jesse Duplantis. He was a professional comedian. You've seen him on TBN if you've ever flipped through there. He runs with Kenneth Copeland in that crowd, has for decades now. And um, Jesse Duplantis got in on some revival meetings. And he made the public statement, I can do that. I can do that. He's still telling his jokes. 
He's an entertainer. That's what he is. Made multiplied millions doing that. His message is all about him. He doesn't preach about the cross. He doesn't give an invitation to the lost to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. It's all about Jesse and him giving money and you giving money. Simon Peter basically said the same thing Jesus did in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1. He said, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The radio, uh, the radios, um, uh, programs, thankfully not in our area that I'm aware of, uh, television programs are filled with uh, false teachers. Um, you can go to the Christian bookstore and wonder if you're in a Christian bookstore at times. If you'll just open up and look at the table of contents, it'll speak volumes to you. Before I buy a book, that's the first thing I do is open it up, look at the table of contents. But Paul writes here, he, he says, beware of dogs, those who would devour. He's not talking about domesticated pets that you and I may have. Back in Paul's day, a man uh, didn't look to eat three meals a day. The custom was to eat two meals a day if he could eat that. And so it would have been a great luxury to have had a pet. They didn't have them. Dogs were scavengers. They ran in packs. And and they devoured. They, they, they stayed around gar- garbage heaps and any place where they might have smelt food or, and they would take advantage of, of anything they may find in the streets or on the countryside, but they were known to devour. And so it is with false teachers. And not interested in your soul. They'll devour you. They'll take your pay. They'll take your influence. They'll take whatever they can take from you. Beware of dogs. And then he writes, beware of evil workers. That word evil speaks of those who are who are wicked and depraved, corrupt on the inside. I'll tell you another little practical way you can identify a deceiver. If they're corrupt on the inside, watch them. Give them a little time. They'll tell on themselves, it's coming out. He said, they're evil workers. John Phillips said this about that phrase. He said they were men of fair words and foul conduct. They call themselves good. They present themselves as being good, but they're bad. They're dangerous. They're wicked. Um, Then he says, after he writes, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. Then he writes, beware of the concision. This is that crowd that uh, they will deceive you. This word concision is a play on the word circumcision. In Paul's day, of course, we know in Christ's day, they were the Pharisees, right? Then we see them even in the book of uh, Acts in the early pages in the book of Acts. The Pharisees, they were legalists. And, um, but those who, who come to cause trouble in the epistles, we know them to be Judaizers. Uh, they believe that it took faith in order to become a Christian, but that you had to add works into there. 
The mark of circumcision was given to Abraham and his descendants. Christ, when he was eight days old, was taken like any little Jewish infant. He was taken to the temple to offer the correct sacrifice. He was circumcised the eighth, eighth day of his young life. The concision are saying that there, there has to be works involved in order for you to be saved. We hear it in our day. They're rule keepers. I'm not saying be a rule breaker. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of people adding to the gospel in the Baptist church. I remember a sermon that Brother Troll Montgomery preached, one of the very first sermons I ever heard him preach years ago. And he was preaching on Christ being the way of salvation. And he said, what that means is Jesus plus nothing. I never have forgotten that. Paul said, beware of that crowd that says Jesus plus. Jesus plus keeping sacraments. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus the Lord's Supper. Jesus plus church membership. Salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. Paul says, beware. He said, don't give them your time. Don't give them your money. Don't give them your attention. Don't give them anything else. Stay away from them. Stay away from them. Now, notice lastly, and I'll give you this very briefly. There's um, the principle that we are to embrace. There are people we are to avoid Then there's the people that we are. Paul writes in verse number 3, For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. He said, that's who we are. He said, that's who we are. He said, those are marks of our lives. He said, we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul makes reference here to this physical ordinance. It was given to Abraham. It was a mark of the Abrahamic covenant, as you well know. But what he is saying here is that that Christ, uh, Christ, this this real circumcision is not, it's it's a spiritual mark. It is not a physical mark that the Lord demands. The cutting away of that which is, Um, which is to be cut away. That's done spiritually. You don't have to keep an ordinance in order to be saved. And we rejoice in that. He, He writes, we worship God in the Spirit. He said, that's who we are. Worshiping the Lord is not for an hour on Sunday morning or for an hour on Wednesday night. Worshiping God. Worshiping God is not the waving of the hand. You know that, don't you? Worship takes place in the heart. Worship is something that we live. Brother Mark Thrift, when he preaches in our missions conference, he said it's not, it's not, uh, it's not what we do. Missions not what we do. It's, it's, it's who we are. I like that. Worship is not something we do. It's who we are. If we've been born from, a, from above, 
If we know how hell-deserving we are, if we are aware of that, to think that Jesus Christ went to the cross for us and our sins, that should produce a spirit of worship in the heart of the believer. He says, we worship God in the Spirit. He said, that's who we are. He said, when you're down in the village or you're out in the market, you run upon another old boy. They are of kindred spirit. He said, you'll recognize him. He said, he said we're one and the same. He said, we worship God in spirit. And then, then he says, he says that worship is something that is done. Uh, he says that we worship God in the spirit. He says we're people who rejoice in Christ Jesus. We glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you, you remember when Jesus sent the disciples out. 70 of them, two by two. There's purpose in sending them out two by two. Where one is weak, the other can be strong. Among other things. But they come back rejoicing. You remember, but they were rejoicing in the wrong things. They said, even the devils are subject unto us. He said, fellas, you missed it. He said, let me tell you what to rejoice in. He said, rejoice in the fact that your name's in the book. Rejoice in what only I can do for you. Rejoice in that your name's in the book. All this other stuff's going to pass away. And your life and my life's going to pass away, just like those that have gone before us. We rejoice in the Lord. Then he says we are a people that uh, he writes here that have no confidence in the flesh. We can do nothing, can we, without the Lord outside of Christ. I think about that song. I, I forget. I, I heard the story of the, uh, behind the, the song. But the first time I ever heard it, I heard it on the radio. Charles Johnson and the Revivers were singing it. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I uh, try to be a neighbor to my neighbor's. On the north side of me is Charles and Ruth Reeves. He's in his 80s. Um, I, I mow five yards, kept mine. I mow Mr. Charles and Miss Ruth, and they love to talk. And when I mow, I get the side of the yard that's by me. I get that mowed, and then when I get up there where he parks his car and the tree's right there in his front yard, it's just a matter of a few seconds Mr. Charles and Miss Ruth, they come out on the front porch. They may be watching tonight. They watch our they watch our live streams. As a matter of fact, I would mention prayer request, and he'd say when I'd go over and see him, um, how's Angie Owings, Ronnie Bearhill's wife? How's she doing? We didn't know she had Lou Gehrig's disease. But I, I, I pulled up. I killed the mower yesterday morning. I'm old. Our yard, Miss Dot Stegall's, I mow hers, and if it looks like my day is going to shape up right, I mow our two because uh, there's more time involved there. And then, um, and, and then I, I try to save the other three for the next day, just kind of divide it up, and that's what I did this week. But, but I pulled up, and, and I just I killed the mower, and I always love to talk to Mr. Charles and Miss Ruth. And um, we got through talking. I said, y'all get in. Out of the heat, and I'm going to finish up, and i got to go across the road. And mow the lot across the road, and I mow my son-in-law's yard, too. He says he's allergic to grass. I think he needs a whipping. 
But when I crunk up, I engaged the blade, and Miss Ruth had a, a, a doormat out in front of her front doorstep, and I cut a gash as long as your arm in the thing. And I apologized, and I asked, you know, that you want one this car? I'm going to buy you it. No, you're not, Miss Ruth said. I, Well, I went across the road, mowed the lot across the road, and then, then I mowed Anna and Aaron's, and, and, and I always tell Anna, look, get out there and pick your toys up. Get it out. If I'm going to mow it, you can at least pick your junk up. And so she heard me coming, and out in the yard she runs and throwing stuff up on the porch, and then, and then she gets loose and steps back on the porch, and she's standing there trying to talk, so I idle it down and disengage the engine. I'm right there by their outdoor spigot. And I said, look, won't you come get this water hose and put it around the other side of the spigot? She said, okay, Dad, I'll do that. And I said, well, i got to get busy. i got things to do. And so I engaged the blade and I pulled forward, and guess what I run over? <laughs> and I went home, and I told Amanda, I said, I've had the awfulest morning. I have tore up everything in the community. And she said, what happened? I said, I messed up Miss Ruth's um, foot mat. And I said, I've got to buy one of those, and I've got to buy a 25-foot water hose for Aaron and Anna. I'm left-footed. I get myself in shapes like that quite often. And that may sound elementary and may be a simplistic way to close tonight, but I'm just as genuine as I can be about it. I go through things like that from time to time, and I'm just reminded, Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I can't get any of it right. <laughs> I'm thankful for his mercies tonight. I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord. How about these familiar words? And I close with him. My faith has found a resting place. Not in device or creed. Trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I rejoice in the Lord. The dearest friend I have is Jesus of Nazareth. I love him tonight. Why you love me, I have no idea, but I love him. Let's stand dismissing prayer. Colby Pruitt, would you dismiss us, please?